It's time for another Pinball Profile. I'm your host, Jeff Teols. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. You can email pinballprofile at gmail.com. If you'd like to show your support on Patreon, that would be wonderful. Don't worry, not necessary. The show will always be free, but it helps keep the show going. So thank you to great supporters like Tony V, Bart V, Sean I, Rodney C, and others. Patreon.com slash pinballprofile. The last time I saw this guy, he was in the West Coast doing wonderful things. He's normally on the East Coast, but somehow, someway, he's back on the West Side. One of the greatest pinball players of all time, Bowen Karens. How you doing, Bowen? Hi, Jeff. It's great talking with you again. Uh, you've had a pretty busy January, and the start of the month was pretty awesome. People might say, oh, it must have been the big win at Indisc, and I was referring, no, it was our dinner at Portillo's. That was what pushed you over the edge. Oh, absolutely. I was walking in the convention hall, and I see Nick and Joe, two of my friends, and they've got Portillo's, and this is like unheard of. It's California Portillo's. This is a Chicago hot dog place that I must go every time I go to Chicago. And uh, so the decision was made to immediately go to Portillo's and uh, ended up buying a couple of things for other folks, including Ray Day and Brian Shepard. <laughs> and, uh, and and you came along for the ride for, uh, what you got an Italian beef, I think? I think so. I can smell when someone's going to get food. It's a real skill. You know, if I could translate that into some sort of pinball skills that you seem to have, I think it'd be putting the whole package together. But thank you for that. You came back. And you won the Classics event. No easy task, especially with that field. That was amazing. And I was with some excellent players who ushered me through the first few rounds. Sean Irby from Seattle, he crushed that first round, and I, I snuck through in second place so I got to advance. And then I got ushered through rounds by Bob Matthews and by Daniele Acciari. And I finally saw the Final Four. Uh, that was the only group I won. You let the others carry the weight. You just kind of ride on their backs. I know what it's all about. I've been there myself, and uh, it was a nice win, and we got to see it on IE Pinball, and you've won so much. I don't even know where that ranks. I, I was just at Adam Becker's house, for example, on the weekend for the Ontario Provincials, and he has still the IFPA 15 banner of all past winners, and, and you've won the IFPA championship twice, two big majors, but it's uh, still got to feel pretty good here in 2024, especially with that type of uh, caliber field. Oh, shoot. It's amazing to qualify in any of these tournaments now. And I managed to qualify in the main and uh, probably got booted by uh, Derek Thompson and Brian Shepard. Maybe I shouldn't have bought Brian that Portillo's. It turns out when I buy food for other people, they end up like kicking ass in pinball tournaments. Uh, the other food I bought for someone on Sunday morning or the finals was uh, one of those It's It's, the ice cream cookie sandwiches. Okay. They're also California only. And uh, some guy named Dalton Eli <laughs> took my other, uh, <laughs> took one of my extra It's It's, and he, he had a good day. Pretty good day. $15,000 later, the high stakes winner. And congrats once again to, to Dalton. But uh, you parlayed that into what you just did recently, uh, state champ once again. So congrats on that. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I've I've always tried to play in in Massachusetts just because that's where I live, and I feel like if I'm going to represent, I'm going to represent local. And uh, we played at the Western Mass Pinball uh, Pinball Club, which uh, for those who are local, it's absolutely fantastic. Forty games, fun charge. Come in and play as much as you want, and the games run the gamut from the absolute brand new to uh, great uh, games from the '60s. Lots of EMs to play and practice on as well. So if you're looking for somewhere to get better at EMs, 
Western Mass Pinball Club is a really good choice. And this year they changed the format of the state championship so that uh, you have to choose among uh, EMs as well as early solid states or the old, mid, and new, depending on where the location was, dividing the games into the category by age. I ended up winning a couple of uh, clutch games at Target Pool, one of my absolute favorite EMs. It is good. And uh, then the other two were just uh, riding coattails on uh, 24 and Diner, two uh, games where shot-making is of the essence. And my shot-making held up throughout the day. You mentioned Diner, and Zemac, who just won his second major in three years at the IFPA Open at Indisc, uh, he was playing Diner, and I believe it was on stream at the time, and there was almost like a new meta in how to play that, at least that version, because you couldn't get Diner really quickly, you couldn't get multiball quickly, you couldn't hit the scoop, all the things you can normally do on uh, regular settings of Diner. He didn't even stir the cup. He basically took the ramps once Diner was spelt and shot the ramp, waited for uh, the stir the cup feature to, to go away, and then do it again, all to the tune of 250,000 points each mm-hmm. time. And it was a method to his madness, but obviously it worked. It was a very strong strategy on a tough diner where, like, you put up a 4 or 5 million score and it has a good chance of holding up against uh, tough players. Like, I couldn't put more than 3 million on it. Um, but I had to play diner in every round in the, the Massachusetts championship, and... I got the the highest score I've ever recorded on Diner in the semifinals <laughs> against uh, Nixon Dejas from New York. A 90 million on Diner. Oh, boy. Zen, for his credit, is cracking me up the whole time behind me doing the voices of the, of the uh, customers. <laughs> Even in 2024 when they might not be politically correct. That is, I have uh, chili and root beer, man. Yeah, yeah. Andale. Zen is a funny guy and a great player, too, so congrats on that. Well, here we are. I know you're in L.A. right now, and you were doing some business stuff. You had not only a good January, but the last few months have been fantastic because when I went to Expo, I saw something I had no idea I was going to see, much to my delight, and everyone's there, including best in show as far as uh, best booth, and you could tell because there was always a lineup. This new company called Barrels of Fun and a brand new wonderful game, Labyrinth. I was able to shoot it a few times. I think uh, you even showed me a few things. Holy cow, is that ever a fun game? Came out of nowhere, and you were part of a, a wonderful team that put that together. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've been working on Labyrinth along with the Barrels team off and on for many months. And the team, the lead design for the game is uh, David Van Ness, Brian Savage, the other lead partner in the company, uh, both of them are out here in, in Los Angeles, along with uh, programmer Eric Kripke, and then our mechanical designer, as well as, yeah, it's, that's the team that's out here right now. But uh, the rules designer is Phil Grimaldi, and so my job is to kind of help with the rules, read Phil's rules, make some notes, offer some improvements, play the game, and just kind of clean up all of the, the little bits and pieces that make something feel right. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but just... The details on timing, the details on choreography, on light shows. On, and I don't necessarily make those, but I can say, oh, it'd be really cool if the game did this here. And it's neat going down to Texas along with Eric, and he's standing there with the game code in front of him. And I'll play the game and I'll say, oh, yeah, that didn't work. You should have done this. When these four the lights come on and you do this, I would do this. And then 10 minutes go by, and he pushes the button, and now the game does those things. And that's 
I think it's a testament to the fact that everyone in the team has both a specialty but also a very high general interest in making great games. I love the team you mentioned there, and some names we know, some we don't. And Dave and S, you obviously had uh, some experience with. You know, we were just talking about the state finals that you won. I uh, had to play in my provincials, and the one game I didn't know was Rick and Morty, and I had to watch your tutorial. And I did, and obviously, going back to maybe some spooky days, you've had some connections with David, so it's great to see him bring along you and and others too. Phil Grimaldi, it was exciting to see him. Uh, I've known what the Grim Reaper's been doing in Houston for quite some time, and uh, his excitement when that game was released at Expo, I mean, you could not wipe that grin off his face. Oh, absolutely. And what I really haven't had the opportunity to do in my other work with uh, both, both Spooky and, and with uh, Multimorphic, is keeping the, the whole thing, like the company, every little detail secret, and then trying to figure out what, what's the right way to roll this game out, uh, and when, and what do you want to make sure it's capable of before you ever show this to the public. Um, as a brand new company, Barrels is in a difficult spot. Like imagine rolling the game out, and it's incomplete, it just kind of looks okay, People's first impressions won't be good enough to let you realize that Barrels is going to be a major player as a pinball company instead of just being a a boutique that makes five games here, ten games there. We're shipping and shipping and shipping right now, and we're all here in L.A. for some mysterious purpose (laughs) I can't (laughs) talk to you about. But I'm I'm really happy with the team. I think that we're all valued. We all care about making fun games and also telling good stories and the way the story got told by Labyrinth is is very good. I can only hope that what we do next will have as much the same flavor if not more. I love that launch more than any other launch in the last five years maybe even more and why I loved it so much is for whatever reason through friends, through Grapevine, through Trust, <laughs> through NDAs, I've been able to know quite a few games that are coming out, and uh-huh. many, many still to come. And it's easy to keep a secret because I respect those relationships. But when Barrels came out, it was out of nowhere. And that's why I loved it so much, because it was, it really was Christmas. You know, I want to be surprised when something comes out, and, and not just comes out, but like you said complete and i can only imagine how long this barrels of fun team has been working on this and you're so excited to let people know look we've got a great license we've got a great game we've got this wonderful team behind us look at the artwork look at everything and the rules are done and you can play it and it's physical and there's several machines here and it's ready to go out of the box and you have to keep quiet because like you said first impressions are so hard to overcome and if it was just a box of lights or just incomplete code or you know what we've got some placeholders here for imaging and and this and that the wow factor would not have been there and to be honest the company probably might not have survived that type of rollout brand new company you're taking a huge risk david and brian are taking huge personal risks to make this company and the fact that they're thinking very carefully about this mattered. It mattered a ton. And you're right. Uh, even if I, if, I, if I think of the rollouts that I've had for other companies, when I remember the first time I ever saw Alice Cooper, and 
Uh, it took another year of work to get that game into good condition. Uh, things like that happen, and that's the choice of a barrels here to, to wait and say, all right, you know what? You're only going to get one chance at this, so better make it good. If you get a chance when you talk to uh, when you talk to David, uh, he's always thought of this as, as being like going to an arcade in 1991, and you you show up at your arcade, and all of a sudden there's this brand new crazy game, and it's Adam's family. <laughs> it's got shots everywhere. Where did this game come from? What does it do? What happens? You could, nobody has any idea. It just shows up. Um, and you know that's not really possible in the age of the internet, but but you can get somewhat of that flavor with the way that uh, Labyrinth was rolled out. Yeah, that's a great comparison. And you know, I hadn't seen David in a while, and I grabbed him at Expo. We grabbed a bite to eat, and uh, he was glowing and equally nervous. Obviously, you know, how's this going to do? How's this going to be received? It went off without a hitch, uh, at least to the plain eye like myself, and I think to the masses as well. And I think we're all excited for a company, any company, to succeed, but a, a startup like this and with the good people. Uh, you mentioned Eric Priebke. Boy, did he have a good year in 2023. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, what you said about the rollout, I just want to put in another word for the folks who are assembling those games. Like, if those games are great in software, in heart, in, in, uh, in artwork, in whatever, and they show up at Expo and they, they break down, we lose. Uh, and so seeing folks put up those games together, like Paul and Lee and the others, and everybody's everybody chipped in and created, creating and manufacturing those games, and now uh, we're getting to the point where there's a full standardized manufacturing process, like an assembly line. It's becoming more normalized. People are receiving their games, and they're coming out just as well as those first ten that were shipped to Expo. If that didn't go just right as well, you'd have the same, the same boat of a reputation built around that first rollout. Well, I know there's a lot of good plans uh, in the future for Barrels of Fun. And uh, in fact, they are going to be a big part of another massive event this summer that you are definitely a big part of. How exciting was it to hear that Pinberg is coming back? And I say Barrels of Fun because they're a major sponsor. That's right. David has said he wants to do whatever he can to, to get uh, Pinberg back. And uh, so, so here it is, come this July. It's, it's going to be a smaller version uh, for the first year uh, as well. Then Doug Polk has, has talked as well about the, uh, the plans to grow a thing. you just got to start somewhere. And where we're able to start is, is uh, space rented and a couple towns away. I think we talked, you know Bridgeville. Bridgeville's, yep. got, some, Bridgeville's got some good food. And it's oh, okay. not, <laughs> not far away from downtown. And... Uh, it's, uh, it's only one town over from where the pop-up facility used to be back in the day. So it's kind of like a, a homecoming event in some ways. And we're running the whole the same format for Pinburg as we did before with uh, two days of play guaranteed for everyone and then the third day for finals. Yeah, starting somewhere, again, I'm excited. 144 people is certainly no small tournament by any means. And to those that... I understand the disappointment, but you've got to start somewhere, and 144 is better than zero, which it has been for the past few years, and Doug on this program has set next year minimum of 300 and growing from there on. So 
Yay, it is back and uh, we are excited and I know you've been a big part of that for years. I am always amazed when people like yourself and we saw uh, so many others do this, but especially at Pinburg, give up their time for the benefit of everyone else when I'm sure you and others would love to be playing in it. This was always a format that I wanted to promote. Uh, in fact, uh, maybe two years before Pinburg ever got started, I would talk to Kevin Martin, the director of Papa, and uh, just say, you know, you've got this big facility now. You could run this. You could run a match play tournament and have like 100 or more players, which at the time is an absurd size for an event. And he was like, nah, I don't, who would come for that? Come on, man. You'd have to get all the games in good shape. It's, it's so much it's so much work. And so he tabled it. A year later, I'm like, how about now? How about now? How about now? And uh, basically, he's like, well, if you want to you want to be in charge of it along with Mark Steinman, go for it. So we built the format. We built the setup of having, at that first year, we, we, we had only three games in a round. And um, then we kind of grew it based on the time. We're like, okay, we can do four games around. We can do this many rounds. We can do this kind of final instead of a Papa-style final. All those things grew up year to year. The very first Pinburg was 173 players, but it was just a wide-open tournament. that There was no limit on the number of people who could register. And then we went to 273, 400, 400 again because we had – maxed out the number of people we could hold in the, in the original pop facility. And then Steinman decided, you know what, <laughs> let's go, let's go for it. And he and Doug and some others, they were the, the huge people pushing to make replay effects happen. And that, that event was spectacular. I don't know if I'll ever get back to that size, but it was amazing. Well, they have great plans indeed. And I'm looking forward to being at the Resonine this July for Pinburg. And again, thank you to Barrels of Fun. Thank you to the UK Open. And thank you to Flipping Out Pinball for uh, really showing support in this. And there are other great sponsors as well, but it really helps with the sustainability of Pinburg and to grow it, like you say, in years. But that format, that's the thing. I mean, I love that you and whether it's Mark, whether it's Doug, whether it's Kevin, wanted to do this because it is not an easy format because you need so many machines. It's just easier to do a card-based format or a pump and dump or just a couple of rounds here and there of smaller match play, not banks of four and different eras. I know Yegpin, at the time of this recording, just put on their hardcore sales and did quite well with that. Uh, so there is a need for that wonderful, if you will, Pinberg-style match play tournament and format it's just so hard to run and requires so much tech and support and tding and just i mean they used to run the fight club in pittsburgh just to to get those games ready it's it's not easy and uh we we should be thankful for those that do it yeah i used to say that running pinberg was like running a wedding and uh some things are definitely going to go wrong when you run a wedding with too many people or too many things there are too many moving parts and, and it's about minimizing like how terrible the terrible things happen. So uh, one example at Pinburg in 2012 or 2013, we had one entire uh, power grid area just go down. Uh, and so 40 games shut off all at once while the round was going on. And the magical thing is that most people never found out about that until later, much later in the day because they were off doing their own games. And 
we have the ability to reset everyone and, and we have the rules written well and we have cooperation of the players. You just have to, to be ready uh, for all of those things. And you're right. This is a harder format than a pump and dump. But most of the time, pump and dumps are kind of boring. You're, just, you're sitting in a line or you're waiting to do something. You're not playing pinball. And I think this format is super valuable for that. This format is also really great for new players and casual players. Well, um, I like I like at Pinburg and Pump and Dumps too, and I'm weary of this too for the tournaments that I run, and I'm sure others are too. If you just have uh, the winners win, well, it, it can be discouraging perhaps. I mean, it's still fun. It's playing pinball and stuff, but it's deep on the wallet. So having the B divisions or novice divisions and things like that, that Pinburg did very well, I think that was inspiring to others because, uh, again, okay, well, I've got a chance. And, and what else is there? Uh, and that's the great thing about Pinburg is it's not just Pinburg. It's whipped. It's the bash at the Berg. It's the three strikes tournament. There are other opportunities too. So it's not uh, all your eggs in one basket, if you will. There's just going to be a ton to do at the new Pinburg as well. Those same events will be back, and the goal is to to build it back up to to that full that full capacity. And I'm just really proud of having helped to build this thing. I I don't care that I don't play in it. I I just want to help and make it make it continue to be great and uh, be part of the team that does that. It does take a huge team to make this event work even at 144 players it's a lot of people at a thousand people it's a staggering number of people making it all work but just just scales up so it's not actually really any harder to run a thousand player pinberg than it is to run 144 player pinberg and vice versa it's still going to be really challenging to run this tournament in july one thing i've always admired about the pinberg tournament and whenever you go to pittsburgh and whether it's the mecca of pinball or not, to to many of us it is. I love that the people behind it want to make sure every aspect is enjoyable because as soon as you set foot in Pittsburgh, uh, whether it's your hotel, whether it's travel, whether it's the parking, everything is kind of all lumped together. This is my Pinburgh experience, Uh, whether there's food nearby, like little things like that. It's all part of it. And they're very conscious of making sure everyone has a wonderful time. And the tournament itself is the thing they control the most. And what I like about Pimberg is you know when you're going to play. These rounds are set at certain times and they start at certain times. So that gives you time to, to mingle or, or go off and do whatever you want and uh, maybe play some free play games. Whatever it is, that schedule is really, really important to Pinburg, And it's not easy to do. So I appreciate that they put the time and effort in that. Yeah, that was that was one thing that I always pressed very hard for uh, is running the train on time. And uh, we have the dinner break where we have it for a specific reason to recover if we're behind by a few minutes. We have um, the rounds built up the way we do so that things can end the way they do. For example, that's why the A division players started on the EM so that they could end on the potentially longest playing modern machine and not block anybody else from having to wait. So all those decisions incrementally over the years made the tournament more and more efficient. And I can only point to two situations where we were even over by five minutes. And the one that people tend to know about is the one where uh, uh, Andy Rosa and uh, some other players ran the table on a, on a bank of games and played World Poker Tour till forever 
Yeah, some games do that, but that's why you see the tougher settings and certainly the challenge. But it's the same pinball machine for everyone, no matter what the settings are. So Pinburg again coming up in July. Tickets go on sale F5 day, February 5th at noon Eastern. So go to pinburg.com for all the information. You talk about times and scheduling and probabilities of things to happen, you know, when you're calculating, okay, how is this going to work for the players? That probability, that math side, that's always been your strong point and really your career too. But it's taken us into different spaces too. Whether you are on a game show yourself, like who wants to be a millionaire years and years ago, a young Bowen, it's 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 scary to look at those photos now, isn't it? But anyway, I say that too as having just getting my passport photo done this week and looking at my old one, I'm like, ooh, that was only 10 years, yikes. Anyway, game shows, uh, whether you're on them, the thing is you're behind the scenes on many of them and you and I have talked about some of the things you've done, but I've been seeing these ads everywhere on TV for Deal or No Deal Island. And sure enough, Bowen, you're a part of that. Explain what Deal or No Deal Island is. Deal or No Deal Island is an insane idea where you imagine Survivor and Deal or No Deal had a baby. Uh, <laughs> and players compete in challenges to earn suitcases. The higher or lower suitcases can give them advantages in the game, uh, such as immunity or the ability to select other players to be up for elimination. And then those suitcases also become the game board for a game of deal or no deal that occurs in the same episode. And the idea being that over the course of the different episodes, they'll be banking money for a jackpot that will eventually be uh, played for by the winner of the entire series. So there's, I think, 12 players, and um, in the first 11 episodes, one player gets eliminated each episode, and then whoever is the final player plays in the last episode a uh, complete full game of Deal or No Deal for probably the largest the largest cash prize ever on Deal or No Deal, perhaps even the largest cash prize ever on any game show in history. So... I like this aspect because I certainly follow Survivor when Deal or No Deal came out and Howie Mandel was hosting it. Uh, that certainly caught the eye of everyone and uh, really took off by storm, kind of the way Who Wants to Be a Millionaire did. So now merging, as you say, Survivor and Deal or No Deal, and it's a series. So I like that because Deal or No Deal, you could have two, maybe three different players on an episode, but this one, okay, we're invested in the players we're curious to see who will make it to the end. And like you say, the stakes are higher than they've ever been with uh, big prizes. So so what are you doing behind all this? What suitcase are you holding? <laughs> I'm holding number 23. Um, but uh, I worked with uh, one of the game producers. Really nice uh, nice working with him. Uh, he was spectacular. And then he, he went down to, to film, the, film the actual show. And we basically decided what suitcases would be used on each episode based on that, what logic the players might use when they're trying to take deals, but also what value the deals should be offered. So I'm, I'm working both sides of the aisle as a mathematical advisor, actuary, or whatever you want to call it, as, okay, what is the banker going to offer players? And what are the players going to do when they're offered the money that the banker offers. Uh, and that's kind of hard. Uh, you have to make a lot of guesses, but you also have all the historical data from the original show 
and the versions from other countries that have, have happened. So in the end, I end up sharing with them, like, this is the logic I use. These are the numbers I'm using. This is what came out. And we think that based on that, the the payout for the show could be anywhere from here to here with, with an average of this and, and so on. For example, the final payout in the final episode for the grand winner could be anywhere from upwards of $15 million as the maximum. Well, $15 million, Jack, and as low as one penny. Oh, boy. Because that's deal or no deal. You, <laughs> you've got to have that as a possibility if the, the player is too much of a dumbass or if they burn through all of the high numbers on the board, it could be a problem. <laughs> well, deal or no deal is interesting in the way that, yeah, everyone can go up and down and up and down. And I don't know if there's a, a banker making deals like in the original show, but there mm-hmm. was there is okay. That is always a little more unique because, you know, when you were on Millionaire, you had points along the way where you can say, I can stop and I can take that guaranteed money. And even though the the grand prize is a million, okay, you know what? I'm happy with this amount of money. And so as a producer of the TV show, you want the maximum excitement. Like again, if 15 million is up on the board there, you want to see people have a shot at that as opposed to they're just going to take a smaller amount and walk away because that smaller amount, whether it's 100,000, 500,000, that's a lot of money to people. So it's one thing about the probabilities, but it's also about the characters of the people. Like, what is their happy zone? I mean, they came with nothing. Do they try to get it all? Or are they just, oh, you know what? That uh, helps pay the mortgage or puts my kid through school. Yep, and that, that's why, that's what makes that show compelling to watch. Uh, it also makes it compelling for a home viewer to say, oh my God, they're not taking that deal. I, I would have taken that deal. and Just put themselves in the shoes of the contestant in that moment. But this show is going to be really interesting, and one aspect that they've advertised but they haven't talked about very much is that the person playing Deal or No Deal in each episode is actually playing for their life in the show. Mm. And the way it works is that if the player makes a bad deal, they are eliminated. So if let's say that their personal case holds $100,000 and the show offers them 150 and they take the deal, that's good. They beat their case. But if the show offered them $70,000 and they took a deal, then they open their personal case and says, oh, there's 100000 here. That's a bad deal. Anyone who makes a bad deal is immediately eliminated from the show. On the flip side, anyone who makes a good deal gets to handpick someone else to be eliminated. Oh, the deceit. So The there alliances. Is, there are, there's no voting. There's no survivor-style voting. It is... Uh, someone will be put into the game by what happened in the challenges, and then that person who gets put into the game either dies or kills someone else. I am looking forward to this. It's less than a month away. Uh, yeah, it's going to be good. So when are you going to put together some form of deal or no deal island pinball tournaments? When's it happening? <laughs> where we can, oh my, could you imagine where you could throw somebody out? Or, you know, he had a, um, someone local to me, uh, Chris Burnett, uh, ran a, an amazing race pinball tournament last month that I really wanted to attend. I couldn't, I had a conflict. They are so fun. But uh, it even included like fast forwards and detours and roadblocks. Oh, boy. Uh, so he went whole hog into make, trying to make the tournament play like a real episode of Amazing Race would. You could arrive at a machine and 
put up a good score and then uh, say, well, these people write, this person wrote down your name. You're going to have to go back and play the other machine and try not to get last on that one either. You know, we mentioned Pinberg moments ago, and I think of John Replogle, who is a big part of Pinberg for so much, and the dojo and all that good stuff there. We've seen him play fishtails in the middle of a river. So if you have the amazing race and you want to be like the show, you got to get a pinball machine some way, somehow, on a high wire. That would be awesome. You're afraid of heights? You're playing? Oh, oof. Oh, my God. Uh, it would have to be a Circus Voltaire. Sure. What about Earthshaker? Something like that? Just, uh, you know, the little trembles you've got up there? You're going to get high wire multi-ball. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, Earthshaker. I can't talk about Earthshaker while, while being in Los Angeles. It's yes. Same. So while we were at Indisc, there was a, I don't know, 4.2 on the Richter scale earthquake. I didn't feel it. I guess it was on stream, and maybe you can see some vibrations. But uh, did you feel it? I did actually feel it, but I didn't think it was an earthquake. Okay. Just like, oh, that feels weird. There's a moving uh, truck out back or something. On, right. Something like that. And then, like, yeah, I felt it too. I felt it too. Like, I have never felt any, any, uh, major earthquakes, but, but things in that four or five range are a little weird because you, you just kind of feel jostled. But I'm old, so maybe I just fell over a little bit. <laughs> I'm right there with you, and I know you have to uh, actually fly back east right now, and I thank you for coming on the program, a busy guy as always, and I'm sure I will see you soon. And uh, again, thanks for the wonderful work on Barrels of Fun and everything else you do. I mentioned the provincials and state finals. I'm sure I wasn't alone watching your tutorial videos because uh, they are timeless, and someday I hope to see more. Thanks. We just put out a, um, put out a video on Genesis onto the Papa channel within the last month. And we have another tutorial on Valley Game Show that we put up uh, within another month or so. And we're, we're filming more. So we are working on more tutorials with uh, Tai Ueda and his equipment, as well as the local places like Cosmic Cottage and uh, others in New England that have offered their space for us to film. It's been great. That is great. And uh, I know I saw some recently with, I don't know, Backhand Pinball and some others. Uh, there's a lot of good work and a lot of good streamers out there, and uh, we appreciate you doing that. Okay, quickly, Genesis. I can't let you go without talking about one of my all-time favorite games. <laughs> I only shoot the orbits, the ones that are lit, until I'm ready to start multiball. And then when I get into multiball, I'm banging that very target. Am I doing it right? I don't know. Ah, I think that what you're doing is very good for generating high scores, but it puts you at a heavy risk of getting a low score. It's not a good match play strategy. It's not a match play strategy. For match play, I would concentrate on the ramps mm. and getting into some multi-ball so that you can get something going at 2x, 4x, whatever, uh, and then uh, only concentrate on the orbits when you, you really are running out of those are the parts you need. You also can get body parts by completing one, two, three in the middle of the drops. Ooh, dangerous or, though. Or the ver or what you said, the very target, especially like in lane very target up to that thing, a big hit is a big value. But not every Genesis can make that shot happen. Yeah, and I just I'm looking forward to that video. I love, love, love Genesis. Yeah, it's up there. We got uh, we got Mr. Bill out during the video. <laughs> All right, Bowen, I'll let you go. I thank you very much and uh, safe travels. See you soon. Oh, terrific talking with you, Jeff. Thank you.
This has been your Pinball Profile. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com. We're on Instagram. We're even on X, and we are on Facebook. Email pinballprofile at gmail.com. And if you'd like to show your support on Patreon, that would be wonderful. Patreon.com slash pinballprofile. Thank you to Lua W, to Cliff A, to Derek K, GME Law, and others. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bo and Karens. I'm Jeff Teolis. <laughs>